Well, good morning. Um, I obviously am unworthy to be here, just as any man is to bring you the word of God. And um, I really appreciate what Dave has said. And, and what you need to know is that on the other side of that has been Dave uh, calling me to appropriate the word, uh, to, to receive it humbly. And, um, and that has been a, a, a great uh, relationship for me to have a man like that leading us uh, who, who loves us, cares for us, and is willing to, to speak the truth. And um, how can you not listen to the word of God and, and follow it when it's lovingly ministered to you? So I am so thankful for men like Dave, uh, men like Dave, or Jake Ebner, Dave Ebner. Anyway, Jake Ebner, Siona, Chuck Rush, and then, of course, uh, my RAs, uh, they are, all the RAs I've had over the years, um, I've been so blessed by. Uh, but I also, I think, in this year, I've gotten very close to this year's staff. Uh, I've, uh, Mike Jackson, where are you at? Are you out there? All right. Uh, there you are, right in front. All right. Uh, Mike Jackson has been a guy that has spoken the truth to me in different uh, opportunities that he's had and seen weaknesses of mine that he's uh, addressed. Uh, Zach Harris um, has, yeah, he's spoken the truth to me. And who's always so gracious with me is David Schaefer and uh, who receives the word humbly. And I just, um, I just want to, you know, Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. And because the spirit of God resides in each of us, and because Christ has transformed us, there is something to honor there. And um, there's some way that the, that the Spirit has gifted you that he has not gifted me and that I need to learn from. And um, I just, I, I wanna come to you this morning as a fellow soldier, as a fellow uh, brother, a partaker in the gospel, a partner in the gospel, someone who shares in the inheritance of the saints, um, and one who lives among you. And this is not going to be a, a, a sermon in this sense that, um, that I have this sermon that I prepared that had nothing to do with you. Um, I'm here today to, to minister to you what the Lord has put on my heart and what I'm convicted of in my own soul. Um, and so today, I really desire and have been strongly praying for each of you that, that you yourself in chapel today would sit under the word of God, okay? And not because, not because I'm special or have anything special to say or I'm particularly, particularly respectable, but because the word of God is powerful and the word of God is active and it's, it's useful for equipping you for every good work. And so as we come to chapel, I'm convicted today because it's amazing how much more the songs mean when, I, when you've been intensely studying the word of God. The, the, the worship songs, I'm brought to tears because I've been more intensely in the word in the last several hours than, than I normally am. And chapel is, I, I'm edified by everything that, that my brothers and sisters are saying, singing, and doing in a way that I'm not normally when I come to chapel, where it's just something to do, something on the schedule, something we do over and over. And so I would just, I would beg you for the sake of your own soul 
regardless of, of who's preaching or what the passage is or who's singing or what you even know about them and their weaknesses, that you would receive the word and worship Christ this morning. And that's my earnest desire for myself uh, as well as you. So as we get into this, uh, let's pray. Okay, and as I pray, and I, I, I always say this when I, when I preach because my prayer is not magical, but the Lord listens to us when we pray and listens to the desire of your heart when it aligns with his will. So as I pray, please pray with me. You pray to God and affirm what we are praying and asking of him this morning, that he would minister to our hearts and build us up into his image. So let's go to him and, and beg him for that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being here with us and being among us and being in us. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that you are at work. We thank you for providing your word, for being a God who loves us and is always working to bring us into the image of Christ. Father, I pray that today and always that we would come to your word with hearts that are open, soft and ready to listen, to obey, to believe. Help us, Father. May, may you transform us a little bit more into your image today. Convict us where we have neglected you. We pray all this in the name of Christ and for his glory. Amen. All right, life is hard, isn't it? I mean, how many of you would say that life is really easy? I mean, I know in comparison to some people, your life seems easy, but I don't know if anybody in this room would say, my life is so easy right now. I mean, how many of you are already tired of classes and syllabuses, right? How many of you are already tired of work, of life, of relationship drama? You're tired of it, right? How many, how many no, don't raise your hand. How many of you are tired of your room, no, roommate, no, just, that's okay. Yeah, put it down. How many of you are tired of the walk up the hill to C-Dub? Yes. <laughs> Guys, life, life is, it's just difficult, right? There's, there are things that make life difficult. Some of you have endured very serious trials. Um, broken homes. Disease. Injury, death in the family. Life is full of these difficulties. It's, it's a struggle. You know, just, just stop and think about, just for a moment, not to get us depressed, but to Take a glimpse of reality. 
that life is not what Disneyland promises. Okay, the people that tell you to just pursue your dreams, there's like 0.5% of people who did that and succeeded. The rest of us have to work for a living, right? Life is hard and it will be hard. It is difficult, it is a struggle. And we are daily tempted to complain. We're tempted towards discontent, to want something better. And I don't know about you, but I, I would like to be content. Right? How many of you would, would like to be content in this world, to be satisfied? How many of you would, you, would, would want things to be just as they ought to be? I think we would all long for that, right? When you get angry about something, you're longing for something to be different. When you complain, you want something to be different. When you're depressed, you want something to be different. When you're unthankful, when you slander, when you gossip, you want something to, to be different. At the root of that is a heart that is discontent with something. Those of you that are in college, you're discontent with college. You wanna be done. Those of you who are single wanna be in a relationship. Those who are in a relationship wanna be married. Those who wanna be married wanna have kids. Those who have kids want them to be out of the house. <laughs> discontent is a, is, a, is a plague among us. It's, a, it's part of the human condition to be discontent. That's why one of the first command, one of the 10 commandments is to not covet. You could sum up a lot of the commandments and do not covet. Because that is something that we all struggle. We all covet something. And yet we desire contentment. So how do we, how do, we do that? I want you guys to open up to Philippians chapter four. And as we go there, I want you to think about the advice that you've given to other people when they're complaining or when life is hard or when, it's, when they're angry. And think about the advice that you've received when you're discontent, angry, uh, complaining. It probably goes something like this. Hey bro, Bible says be content, dude, right? Sovereignty of God, man. Hey, just rejoice. The Bible says rejoice. How many of you have received counsel like that or have given counsel like that? Right? Let me ask you, for those of you that have received that counsel, was that helpful? Did that produce contentment in you? Did that produce rejoicing in you? Oh, yeah, good point, bro. No, it's just I feel bad. Now you've just made me feel worse. And you know, when we do that, when we just give those trite answers, we give the word of God and we give the Bible and we give God himself a bad name. 
because we don't, we don't really understand everything that goes into being content. There's a whole mindset that goes into it. So let's go ahead and go into Philippians chapter 4. And this is a common passage that you're familiar with. Chapter, t- or chapter 4, verse 10. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let me repeat that. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, any and every, say that with me, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So people say, you know, they look at this and say, see, Paul was content, right? Remember where he was at this point? He was in prison. He was locked up. Talk about a bad roommate situation. You know, he was chained to a Roman guard. If Paul was content, you can be too, right? You should be. Be content, bro. Right? That's what we say to each other. And I want you guys to see this morning that that it's not just a matter of of deciding to be content. If you look through, we're gonna go through the rest of the book of Philippians. This is an experiment. Ride with me. The rest of the book of Philippians lays out the mindset behind Paul's contentment. And so we have to go there to see what is driving this. Okay, because we don't wanna just be content in anything, right? We don't wanna just be satisfied in anything. We wanna be satisfied in the right things. And the first thing that, we, that I wanna highlight, which is really, I think, the climax of this book in chapter three, is that to be truly content, you have to be discontent. Let me show you what I mean. Philippians 3, chapter, or verse 1, okay? It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's speaking of uh, those uh, of the Jewish faith who want to say, yeah, you can have Jesus, but you still need to accept the law of Moses and be circumcised. And for any guy to be circumcised, he's got to be fully committed to the law of Moses, right? That's, that's a sign of full commitment to the law of Moses. So look out for these guys that want you to go back to the law. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, Paul is saying that if, he, if anyone had reason to be confident and content in themselves, it was him. There was no one under the law more righteous, more, more diligent, more focused than he was. And yet, he says in verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, so the first thing that you need to be discontent with is your own righteousness. With your own goodness. Okay, and listen, on this campus, though we sing these songs about Christ and about his righteousness, that does not mean that you are trusting in that. You could be trusting in doing all the good things and getting up early, reading your Bible every day, praying, coming to chapel, on time, front row, chapel band, RA, SLS, go trips, serving in the church, you checked off all the stuff. Yep, I'm a good Christian. And if you are trusting in your own righteousness, and if that is what satisfies you, that you are righteous in yourself, you need to wake up because you have no true righteousness of your own. You need to be discontent in your righteousness. Okay, this, this issue comes up as well, okay, with, with those who do not do all the good things. They don't show up at all the right things. They're not about the things that we promote here. And when you go to confront them and you go to show them their sin, and they respond with resistance and pride and anger, that's a person who is trusting in their own righteousness. They do not recognize their need of righteousness. You, if that is you, when, when you think that you're good enough as you are, you are trusting in your own righteousness. You need to be discontent with your own righteousness. Okay, there's a second aspect of discontentment that needs to be true of us. Okay, right, verse seven, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, verse seven, whatever gain. That applies to how, what percentage of the things in your life? Everything. Whatever you, whatever you would boast in, whether it's athletic ability, whether it's academic prowess, whether, whether it's money, charisma, Paul says here that whatever gain he had in anything else, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse eight, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All right, and I'm, I'm coming to you today as, as somebody who needs to be reminded of this. This is not a one-time decision that you make, but an ongoing 
process and commitment. Paul says here that he counts everything as loss, and this is present tense, this is constant. Everything lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You will never know true contentment until the, the value of knowing Christ to you, until that value surpasses the value of everything else in your life. Whenever, you, whenever there is something more valuable to you than knowing Christ, you will be discontent. And how will that show up? Think about that for a second. How does that show up? What are the things that you want besides Christ? Your own glory, the honor of other people, you want riches, financial stability, relational peace at all costs, the lusts of the flesh, when those surpass the value of knowing Christ to you and you begin to pursue those, because whatever you value, you will pursue, think of the fruit that that bears in your life. And I'm telling you right now, all of us are often guilty of this. And think of the fruit that this produces. It produces divisions and quarrels. It produces complaining, fits of anger, produces sexual immorality, pornography, cheating. It produces uh, business practices that are illegal or immoral in order to get the riches that you want. It produces covetousness of every kind. When I am not valuing Christ above everything else, I am impatient with those around me. I look down on them. I am frustrated by things. And the result of that is destructive tendencies that destroy relationships, destroy communities, destroy churches. These tendencies in your heart to value other things more than Christ. And so if you see these fruits in your life and you're angry about something, the fix is not to just, hey, be content. The fix is to be discontent with your own righteousness. The fix is to value Christ above all things. To count the value of knowing him as as a surpassing worth, a surpassing the worth of everything else. Verse eight, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, garbage, refuse for the sake that I may gain Christ. Verse nine, and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's not righteousness that depends upon you keeping all the rules, but it's a righteousness that depends on faith in Christ. This is what we're talking about with the fruit of the Spirit. If you look in the book of Galatians, to walk in the Spirit is to, is to have faith that works through love and it produces that kind of fruit. And this Holy Spirit combining, producing both the faith and the love in you produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's faith in Christ's righteousness. It's trust in him alone. And the minute that you start to establish your own righteousness, that is when you start to look down on others, seeking your own glory. Let us not seek our own righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This reminds me of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To know Christ. That, was, that's, that is the key mindset behind Paul's contentment. To value him above all things. Do you, do you value him above all things? Do you trust in his righteousness alone? Is that the great pursuit of your life? Okay, so here's, here's the second thing to be discontent with. First is your own righteousness. The second thing to be discontent with is your current uh, your current relationship with Christ. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's forgetting all of your past successes. Forgetting everything that you would put pride in. Forgetting everything that you would be ashamed of. Forgetting past failures. Only that you may move forward towards the, the goal of knowing Christ and losing everything for him. I press on, verse 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, this is not the super spiritual response. Paul's not, he's not saying that I'm special in this. Verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. This is, this is the measure of Christian maturity. The value that you place on knowing Christ and the pursuit of that and obtaining to that knowledge of Christ. That's what it means to be a mature Christian. And if there's any way that you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. This is sanctification. 
This is what God does in, in disciplining his children in Hebrews 12. See, God's discipline is not punishment for your sins. You're not paying for your sin when he disciplines you. Hebrews 12 says that every son that he loves, he disciplines. If you are a child of God today, God disciplines you. He trains you just like a coach trains his team. He disciplines them. A coach that it goes easy on his team and does not teach them how to play the game and does not put them in difficult situations is not a very good coach. They'll get to the game and they'll get destroyed. But a good coach makes his team run hard, puts them in strenuous situations to get them ready for the real thing. His, his discipline of his team makes you more useful for the team. Don't despise that discipline. If there's any way that you do not think about Christ as surpassing the value of all things, God will show that to you. And how does he show that to you? There's many ways. But probably one of the most, uh, the, the major way that he does this is in suffering. It's when you don't get what you want. It's when things don't go your way. God is training you to value Christ above whatever it is that you have valued so far. He's teaching you to let go of those things. And this is an amazing promise of God. How often do we get uh, discouraged about our current uh, spiritual state? How often do we get down about it? There's so many times in my life where I have been, been discouraged and upset. And yet God is so faithful. He does not leave me there, but builds me up through his people, through his word, through his spirit. And this is an amazing promise in uh, Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if you are valuing Christ and you recognize your failures, you're discontent with your own righteousness and you want to value him above all things, he will show you how to do that. He will bring what, what needs to happen to train you and he will, he will complete the work that he started. Isn't that amazing that someday, it, it will not always be like it is right now. Someday, you will be free completely from the temptations and the sins that so easily entangle us. You will desire righteousness above all things. You will, you will want to do his will always. Our relationships will be perfect. Our fellowship will be sweet. God will complete the work 
that he has started in you. So we're discontent with our own righteousness. We're discontent with our own level of knowledge of Christ. And that makes us pursue him hard. But we also trust in God's work in our hearts. He's doing it. This is an amazing thing in, in chapter four where he's talking about contentment. You notice that Paul doesn't say, God has, um, when I got saved, he just made me a content person. He, he, he doesn't say, God zapped me with contentment. And some people just get that special gift. He says what? That he has learned contentment. He's learned contentment. Second Corinthians, he talks about the thorn in the flesh that God used to keep him humble so that he would trust fully in God's grace and glory in his own weaknesses. He has learned contentment. You can too, by the same means. You can too, by pursuing Christ. You, God will grow this in you as you pursue it. So there's a couple of uh, priorities, a couple of things I wanna highlight earlier in the book <clears throat> that, sh that, that grow out of this, this full devotion and commitment to Christ. And the first is, is the prioritizing of the gospel. If you value Christ above all things, then his gospel and the progress of it will be your life's work, no matter what field you go into. And I want, I want you to see this in, in chapter one, verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. Okay, so Paul is praying for them and is rejoicing over them. And notice why, notice why okay? Remember, he's in a prison. And they just sent him uh, through Epaphroditus, they sent him aid. They sent him food and provisions while he was in prison. But notice what the thing is that he is so thankful for when he remembers them. It's this, verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That is what he values about his relationship with them. They're partners in the gospel. Okay, we're partners in many things here. We're partners in sports teams, in majors, SLS, in dorms. As uh, Christians, right? Our Christian culture, master's college. But what we should value and really be so thankful for in each other is the partnership of the gospel. Look at verse seven. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And notice Paul's contentment is not a stoic 
disconnected one. Verse eight, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So the priority of the gospel. Look at verse 12. This is what he wants them to know. You know, they were concerned about him. The Philippians were concerned about Paul in prison. And notice, you know, the first, the, the first thing he wants them to know about his circumstance is this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Is that something you'd be happy about? You know, it's like a, it's like a pastor going away on vacation and some, some other guy coming in and drawing his congregation after, him, after himself, wanting to cause you trouble. That's the reason he's preaching Christ and you know that, that his, that's his motive. And yet Paul, because his priority is the gospel, because, because his desire is for Christ and that Christ be proclaimed, he says, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If you want to be content, value Christ, prioritize the gospel, partner with those who are proclaiming the gospel. Be a partner with one another in the gospel. Okay, and here's the, here's the thing. We, we spent so much time with each other. We're in the dorms, watching YouTube videos, playing games, joking around. Those are, those are fine. But what do you find, what do you find as the sweetest and the most common thing that you share? Let's partner with one another in the gospel, in our dorms. Because God is, here's the thing, if you, if you wanna be content, you have to be on board with God's program, right? God's in control of everything. And what is his purpose? It's to glorify himself through the spread of his gospel. And through a church a body of believers who walk worthy of it. If your purpose is different than his, you, you are not, you are walking out of step with your environment. 
God is causing everything in the universe to work out for good, right? Well, what is that good? That you would be made into the image of Christ. And he's bringing all things in history to the point when Jesus will return and we will all, all of the believers, will be made completely like Jesus. He is causing everything to work out for that end. If you are not on board with that, you are fighting against the tide of history. And if you're a believer, God will not allow you to keep continue running at cross purposes with his will against the grain. He won't let you be content in that. So get on board with God's program the, 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 and partner with others in the proclamation of the gospel, in the pursuit of Christ. What does it mean to walk worthy of this gospel? Okay, there are attitudes, and at, you, you look through the rest of the book of Philippians and you see these attitudes that have to be uh, true in us, right? He says, verse 27 at the end there, that you're standing firm in one spirit and one mind. Verse 28, you're not frightened by your opponents. Chapter two, verse, verse two, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Is that, is that how you pursue your study of theology? Is so that believers, that, that we, would, we would work together to understand the truth so we can be of one mind and strive together for a common cause? Verse, verse three, the attitude of humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You wanna be content? Count others more important than yourself. You wanna be content? Verse four, look each of you not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. That's not talking about, oh, he's interested in soccer, I guess I should be too. Right, that's, that's talking about pursuing the interests, that what is in the best interests, what is good and beneficial for those around you. Seek that if you want to be content, not your own interests. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And you can see, you can look later as you go through the book of Philippians at the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus who valued the interests of Christ above their own. They looked out for others. They were genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippian church. Epaphroditus almost died to serve the cause of the gospel. So let's leave behind the things that we value more than Christ if you want to be truly content. If you want to be truly content, be discontent with your own righteousness. Trust in the righteousness of Christ through faith. 
be discontent with your current knowledge of him and pursue him wholeheartedly. Proclaim the gospel side by side and strive for unity with one another in humility. And imitate the examples of Christ, Timothy, and Epaphroditus if you want to be truly content so that Christ may be glorified and you may, when Christ comes, be pure and blameless before him. Let, let me pray and then uh, we'll sing one last song. Lord Jesus, your word is powerful and true. I pray that you would use my weakness, speaking your word, Lord, to, to grow us, to inflame in us a passion for Christ, to pursue him and to let go of everything else. Help us to love one another with the affection of Christ Jesus, I pray.